Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello again, everyone. It's Charles Marshall here with my good friend and compatriot, Phil Padalo. Back again on the Neil Garfield Show this May 2nd, 2019. I am broadcasting live from Southern California. Uh, Neil is away for a bit, and so I will be back as well May 9th, next Thursday, and then Neil will be back the following Thursday, May 16th. As always, this show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, and LendingLies.com. And it's made possible because of donation, donations from listeners like you. Neil, thanks, thanks you for that. I thank you for that. Any amount you're able to donate is appreciated and you can donate directly by selecting the donate button on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. So what Bill and I are going to go into today, it's going to be another round of all things U.S. Bank, the National Association, with its extended trust name for various trusts. And first uh, reference, which Neil has already blogged, blogged about and provided, provided some intel and info regarding, is this order to show cause that was pretty recently issued. Uh, this is actually an order that was just issued within the last couple of months. And, in fact, it was issued on April 15th, so we're talking really a couple of weeks. Now, it's out of Florida, and it's regarding discovery issues. And the the appalling aspect of this is, This order of mid-April 2019, it follows a similar order regarding the same discovery issues literally from August of 2018. So we're talking roughly nine months here that 
U.S. Bank, the National Association, who this is a judicial foreclosure coming out of Florida. Remember, Florida is a judicial foreclosure state. So you've got an alphabet soup named U.S. Bank Trust, and you've got some defendants. Raul Zayas is the short-named defendant on the pleadings. And what happened in this case is truly appalling. Bill's going to break it down for you. And Bill and I are both going to get into the implications of this ruling. Uh, One of the fundamentals is that this judge is essentially reprimanding U.S. Bank yet one more time for continually being out of compliance with fundamental fundamental issues of discovery, fundamental documents that should have been provided. So, Bill, why don't you go into this further and tell our listeners just how crazy this litigation world can be that we're in. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Well, it's uh, this particular order out of Florida is – pretty much part for the course, and uh, and I think part of the reason why you see the court uh, giving U.S. Bank a tremendously long leash for months and months and months, uh, already being in contempt of the prior orders, is simply because U.S. Bank, as that named plaintiff, there's no way that they can produce any of the documents that they're being ordered to produce. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this judge and how the court holds their feet to the fire, so to speak, and holds them accountable um, for this type of behavior and, and to see how this ends up playing out. Because if, and, and again, kudos to Bruce Jacobs, the attorney who has been you know, putting a lot of pressure on and prosecuting this case to get it to this point. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, if this thing actually gets played all the way through to the end. Because clearly if it does... Um, U.S. Bank, as that name plaintiff, these parties, the attorneys, everybody involved, Nation Star, the uh, people claiming to be the custodians, um, they're, they're going to uh, have some serious um, uh, issues on their hands, to, uh, uh, and, I, and I hope they get sanctioned tremendously, so on and so forth. But I have a case that uh, I just finished up a very long week of travel, and I'm <laughs> kind of eager to talk about a, a case uh, in a UD action right down in your own backyard there in San Diego. Uh, Charles, I was just yes, down no. there. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, sorry I couldn't look you up, by the way. I always enjoy our, our visits and uh, dinner down there, but uh, this particular trip I just didn't have a spare moment, so I'm uh, <laughs> sorry I missed you. But um, we'll be um, on. And also, thanks a lot, Sandy. Oh, the, the, the time I need a little sunshine, I'm down there. It did nothing but rain on me for two days. Um, but anyhow, I'm going to get to that in a second, but I just went coast to coast. Uh, I left here last week, and I just got home and returned. And my, my journey started out by, um, I went out to New Jersey. I was actually, there was a meeting that was uh, lined up uh, for me out there with a number of individuals, starting with uh, Senator Menendez's uh, office in downtown Newark in uh, Menendez, Senator Menendez is on the uh, Financial Services Committee, and so uh, I started right. out by uh, meeting in the afternoon in, in his office, and and uh, uh, he couldn't make it. Uh, unfortunately, I uh, got called away, uh, but I did meet with some of his staff, and um, they were very uh, uh, interested in a lot of this information that I was talking about, and specifically a lot of the the issues with the 
parties showing up in court and suing when there's no claimant and people uh, acting as imposters and the forging and fabricating of documents, so on and so forth. So at the end of the meeting, uh, you know, of course, you know, they, they took dubious notes and, you know, are interested in possibly having me come and testify in Washington, D.C. on some of this stuff, and I'd be happy to do that. Um, I'm always willing to participate and, and, and to share uh, some of this stuff to, to get the word out there. But then the uh, next meeting that was lined up, I met with uh, some heads in the Department of Justice and the financial crimes and also a 24-year uh, FBI guy. Um, uh, later that afternoon, I spent kind of going over some of the same evidence, some of the same uh, things. <clears throat> and it really became clear that, you know, these, these, these law enforcement individuals, I mean, there's certain things that they're looking for and that they need to, to look at this from a, a criminal prosecution standpoint. And I think th this information can be packaged in a way to, to get their attention and to uh, possibly push some of these cases forward uh, from a criminal perspective. But, but in talking about um, the issues of uh, you know, the lying and the perjuring and all that sort of thing, um, it became very clear that <clears throat> none of these individuals are going to be held accountable from a criminal side. The, the orders are pretty much uh, have come down from the high ups and their, their heads were nodding. That, uh, no one's going to be hauled off in handcuffs for any of this stuff. It's all going to be under the umbrella of a civil type deal and that if you want recourse, you're going to have to find ways to sue civilly because don't expect anybody to go to jail. And my point to this law enforcement uh, crowd was like, look, uh, if, if there's not any sort of a deterrent uh, or accountability for this kind of behavior, and this is criminal behavior, this is felony behavior. I said, you know, in order to pull off a foreclosure in a, for, in a uh, judicial setting or non-judicial setting in this country, multiple felonies have to occur in the document uh, production and the mail and wiring of these documents and everything else to perfect any foreclosure in this country. And and they get it, okay, they get it. But again, uh, there's just, we're not going to see any deterrence unless, you know, the courts decide to uh, get fed up with it and then make an example out of somebody. Because I'm convinced that if, if there's some individuals that are going to be made examples and they're going to get hauled off in cuffs at some point, I think a lot of this appalling behavior is going to come to an end. Um, but anyway, getting back to U.S. Bank, uh, I then get on the plane and I fly, of course, down to San Diego for this UD action. And U.S. Bank is the plaintiff for a trust, XYZ Trust, and the name of the uh, defendant is Stephen LaCour. So I talked to Mr. LaCour uh, about uh, be coming on the show, and he said, listen, uh, please share the information, get it out there, let people know if it can help anybody uh, to spread the word of what's going on um, in these proceedings. You know, you have my blessing. So, uh, so he said, please talk about it. Well, <clears throat> uh, this particular case, uh, I'm in, I'm in the courtroom. It kind of got delayed a little bit on on Monday. The judge called in sick, and I'm in there on Tuesday. And one of the, there's a lot of gory details that I'll spare the listeners about. But one of the key issues with the case is the verification to begin with. Is that nowhere is as any evidence come forth to, to show that U.S. Bank verified this complaint, that they hired the law firm who's prosecuting the complaint, that there's anybody uh, from U.S. Bank uh, that's involved in the proceeding, and that's been kind of front and center uh, to the court trying to say, look, there's no witnesses here from, uh, from U.S. Bank, et cetera. <clears throat> 
And what it boiled down to um, uh, is the judge says, listen, uh, before I call and we start doing jury selection, uh, I'm going to tell you right now that if the documents, the, the, the bank records and, and the servicing record documents that are being put in by the plaintiff U.S. Bank in this case, if those get offered into evidence and I accept those documents into evidence, your case is over. I'm going to tell you right now, Mr. LaCour, uh, there really isn't any, you lose. There's just, there's no path here for you to have any success. And one of the interesting things is that, <clears throat> and, and the judge was getting really kind of uh, irritated and, and tired. It was kind of getting into the afternoon, and he really uh, was trying to uh, telegraph that, um, I'm this close to just taking these documents that the opposing counsel is going to hand me and and certify them in as evidence, and your case is over, and, I, and I'm going to stop wasting everybody's time, according to the judge. Um, and so the opposing counsel, he says, Your Honor, he says, I can cut – I can make this very uh, quick and efficient. He says, I'm going to make an offer of proof. And I'll let you explain that maybe in a moment here, Charles. But it was really interesting. So I'm going to make an offer of proof to the court that he says that these seven documents, the note, the deed of trust, the trustee's deed, the notice of default, all of these records, that the witness I'm going to bring in here tomorrow for this case is the document custodian for U.S. Bank down here in the San Diego branch office of U.S. Bank, who's familiar with the record-keeping and custodial procedures of these documents. And my witness is going to come in here and attest first thing in the morning to the authenticity of these documents. And I'm going to tell you right now, <clears throat> that's, that's, what, that's who they are, and that's, what, uh, that's who she is, and that's who, uh, what she's going to attest to. So therefore, let's just kind of cut to the chase here, so to speak, and I'm going to hand you these documents, and let's get them certified right now. He's just trying to really steamroll this whole thing. And, of course, uh, Steve LaCour, he's, he's acting pro se, and i got to tell you, he's done a beautiful job. Very, very smart guy. I don't recommend anybody doing this pro se, but he's, he still handled himself very well. He made the proper objections into the record, as, as what I believe, anyway. Um, and he says, listen, you – right now, he said, uh, I don't have a witness on my witness list that was – given to me prior to trial here of any witness from U.S. Bank. Who are you talking about? And so he gives the name of the gal, and we and suddenly the judge and everybody were starting to look in, in, into the documents for the case. And it turns out that the, the witness was actually named, but it, she was named as a real estate broker, okay? Um, and, and what she was going to attest to was um, – certain things regarding the, the property and the, the listing of the property or something of that nature. And she was not named as a U.S. bank document custodian. So I think what happened here is the, the opposing counsel uh, kind of made a fatal mistake here. Um, either that or was trying to, uh, you know, <laughs> get this witness to take the stand and sort of uh, sucker punch, you know, the defendant here by um, bringing this up at the last minute and trying to get it, you know, slipping one past the goalie, so to speak. So anyway, um, the the case gets delayed, and I go back, and, and so in his offer of proof, the attorney again says that this is a document custodian for U.S. Bank. Well, I go and I look up the gal, and I start doing some research, 
And she's the listing agent, uh, is what she is, on the subject property. Now, <laughs> it, you, I tell you, you can't make this stuff up, stuff up but you, 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 you're saying that this document custodian for U.S. Bank is going to testify to these documents. Turns out she's the listing agent. Tell me she doesn't have any stake in the game or financial stake or any bias there. I mean, it's just that's just how flagrant and egregious this is. So I had to fly home because this thing is getting dragged out and the trial is being extended till Monday. So um, three listeners out there, I'll tell you what, uh, go down to downtown San Diego and the Superior Court on Monday morning and give Stephen LaCour some support here before what this court is about to do and what's about to happen here. Uh, it's in uh, fifth floor, room 68, um, U.S. Bank versus That's Stephen LaCour. I'll tell you, he, he needs some support <laughs> uh, just because of what they're putting him through. But anyway, um, Today, apparently, according to Mr. LaCroix, he reports back to me that when they showed up in court today, uh, the attorney says uh, my, they're about to, about to begin the, the rest of the trial, and, and counsel for U.S. Bank says, well, my witness isn't here. They had to go to uh, – they had to fly out of country, and they can't be here today. But once again, Your Honor, I want to uh, just make an offer of proof that – that, the, that, that my witness is the U.S. Bank custodian and just basically take these documents and let's get this over with. Again, Mr. LaCour Jackson says that, you know what, Your Honor, uh, not only was this witness not described as a U.S. Bank custodian, but she's, she's a real estate agent, so on and so forth. <laughs> and, and so uh, the judge has suddenly kind of, it's kind of got his attention, uh, and um, I'd love to be a fly on the wall and go back in that courtroom on Monday, but now apparently the, the judge says, well, this witness is going to apparently have to fly all the way back from Japan and be there for Monday morning to explain this one. But um, this is the type of shenanigans that's going on. The, uh, the original verification in this complaint was signed by a gentleman named John Hudson as an agent. They always just say just they're an agent for U.S. Bank. I look up this guy, and he works for a company down in Texas called, uh, I think it's uh, Exxon or X1, uh, and he's he just deals, he's a, a real estate investor, it appears, of some sort, uh, who's making money on REO properties, and suddenly he's the signing uh, verification uh, agent for U.S. Bank. This stuff is getting really, really blatant and out of control. I'll let you, I'll oh, let you uh, chime in on some of that. <laughs> yeah, what's really striking, uh, there's a, there are actually a number of things striking. One of the things that jumps out is regarding the verification, as I think a lot of listeners know, because this involves real property, any complaint, including one might say especially an unlawful detainer complaint, which would obviously result in the eviction of the defendant if successful, the verification is essential and the defendant needs to verify uh, their defense and their answer as well. And that is because it, it involves uh, real property. And the inherent conflict of interest here is, you rightly point out, one of the most troubling aspects here because clearly somebody who's really on either the real estate investment side as somebody who's buying these properties or in the alternative or related to that, they're a realtor who's facilitating REOs after a property is bought at, you know, as is the case in California, a non-judicial foreclosure sale. 
So they, you have the sale of the property from an investor. In this case, sounds like somebody from Texas. Then you have a realtor who's essentially trying to retail the property as a real estate-owned property on the books of U.S. Bank. So that, in essence, what, what's happening here is not just a kind of double dealing. Uh, what's, what's also very troubling about this is the so-called expert for U.S. Bank is not a U.S. Bank employee. It doesn't even sound like really they're, they're even acting in, in a kind of ongoing independent contractor way, though that's theoretically possible, by simply having them uh, through some simple agency agreement whereby they're, quote, unquote, an agent, this could just be a one-off arrangement related to this specific property. And as we so often see where MERS is an intermediary in these types of cases, you have these individuals wearing multiple hats that it makes no sense they would be wearing. It makes no sense that somebody comes into court and presents themselves as having bona fide, specific, evidence-based, information to which they can personally testify that shows their knowledge, that shows their being able to, to track what's gone on with the specifics that go into this unlawful detainer lawsuit. And it is a lot of, uh, as you mentioned, double dealing. I think it's also, though, indicative of how can these people really possess specific placed knowledge for U.S. Bank when they're not really acting for U.S. Bank other than in this self-interested way when their real profession and their real activity involves a lot of uh, essentially possibly similar types of business dealings but certainly not involving this property. And I think, again, that's that's one of the appalling aspects as well. Uh, well, it's it's really it's really appalling when the judge says, looks right at me, you know the defendant and says, listen, their witness, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, is going to attest that they have personal knowledge and the business records exception of uh, the of the practices and the record keeping and everything of the regular course of business. Um, on these documents and everything, and therefore they're going to get the presumption. And I'm going to bring these. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now the likelihood that I'm going to admit these documents is is you know uh, likely going to happen, right? And, and I'm like, if you're a real estate agent in, in San Diego and you're the listing agent on the house, I mean, to stand up there and say that this is a copy of the original note in the case and all these documents that you're going to say that you're the custodian and you're, you're, you're familiar with the U.S. Bank's record-keeping practices. I mean, it's, it's beyond insulting. It's beyond insulting. Um, and, and the hearsay is just, uh, uh, it, it sticks out like uh, an elephant in the room. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the point in getting these documents in, and, and this is <clears throat> what... Uh, you know, my, my own personal view is, look, if, if a judge is saying if these documents get into evidence, your case is over, and they don't have a witness who works for the plaintiff, who has any knowledge of these documents or the records of the plaintiff, 
I, I don't see how those documents could get into the record. Right, hence the offer of proof. See, what right. happens in a trial with an offer of proof is that the proffering party, they're trying to get certain documents, they're trying to get certain information or information and documents, or in some cases witness testimony, along with documents. And they're trying to get it into evidence because if it's not in evidence, then it won't be weighed by the court in support of whatever the proffering party is trying to put forward. Here, clearly, they're trying to get the documents and the testimony to show that the non-judicial foreclosure sale was proper, to show that the U.S. Bank National Trust, who's the plaintiff in this case, has proper legal authority to be in court for the UD and to get the UD judgment they're seeking. And the big disturbing thing here, apart from everything else we've talked about, is an offer of proof is, is presented Sometimes where the witness at issue is either not on the witness list or the witness was presented as here as testifying about something else. Exactly. Here they were going to be testifying about the real estate-related activity. This would have been following the non-judicial foreclosure sale. Now all of a sudden they're supposed to be uh, testing to pre auction behavior on the part of the U.S. Bank Trust and how they had proper proper provenance of the note and the associated deed of trust to justify taking the property to sale. It's almost a kind of bait and switch. Uh, and, and and the reason they're, they're presenting this as, as an offer of proof is they're trying to convince the judge to essentially allow this witness even though they weren't on the, the witness list for the purpose of, of essentially confirming U.S. Bank's authority to go forward as, you know, the witness being a custodian of records connected with U.S. Bank's activities. Well, hey, Charles, i got to add one quick thing here before the end. Uh, and this is even the more disgusting part of this story, okay, is that this is, this is the U.S. Bank's third bite at the apple. This is their third attempt at a U.D. They lost two prior U.D. actions. In fact, the, the prior judge in the last U.D. action declared that the substitution of trustee was invalid, okay, because it was, it was uh, executed by MERS, uh, simply MERS by itself, substituting the trustee and so on. There was issues with that particular substitution trustee, which could not get them to the sale. And so the court ruled, and it's in the order, that that document is invalid, that that document holds no uh, weight. So they, so he, they don't have a good substitution trustee. So he tried to raise that again in this case, saying they came in with the exact same substitution of trustee document that the prior court has already ruled. He's trying to say this is res judicata. Res judicata works against the homeowners all the time. But when he brings it up, nah, it doesn't matter. That's extraordinary. So you're saying the oh. issue to cut it, issue was raised, and what did the judge say specifically about that? <laughs> well, I couldn't be in the room. I'm sequestered as a uh, uh, as a witness, unfortunately. So, uh, but he came back on. I mean, he comes out. And he says. And it's in the trial briefs. I mean, it's all put into the briefs and everything else by the trial saying, listen, this court doesn't have, you know, this is res judicata. The, the sole document they're relying on has already been ruled on by the prior judge that it's invalid. That is very striking. 
Well, in the remaining time we have here, uh, I do want to jump back uh, quickly to the Florida order to show cause matter. Uh, I wanted to make sure the, the listeners understood one of the essentials of, of, of that situation, again involving U.S. Bank, is that the plaintiff there was ordered to turn over screenshots showing the dates the original notes were uploaded into it, meaning the U.S. Bank Trust, in that case, showing when those notes were uploaded. And that's a fundamental aspect if they ever had the original note, if they could actually show that it was uploaded to their system. And, of course, it dovetails still with what you've been saying all along, that they don't have the original notes, not happening, it's not there. We'll be interesting to see what happens to that case in late July. That's all we have for today. Thank you, Bill. Next week. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.